Would you all pray with me, please? Dear Lord, may the meditations of our hearts this evening and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours this evening from God our Father and through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to to begin with to picture yourself on a southwest flight and when the 737 begins taxiing down the runway you begin flapping your arms. The flight attendant comes along and says, what in the world are you doing? And you say, I'm helping this 737 get off the ground. She says, um, you really don't have to do that. You shoot back, yes I do, I'm committed to making this work. She says, trust me, you can just sit back and relax. This plane will take off without your help. No! You continue to protest. I've got to help the pilot get this plane off the ground. And your arms become tired until they just can't flap anymore. Now how smart is that? Not very. It's time to stop trying and start trusting. That's the truth of the day. Stop trying and start trusting. We're in a series on the book of Exodus called Let My People Go. It's a phrase that appears seven times in Exodus. And today in Exodus chapter 14, finally, finally, Pharaoh lets God's people go. (coughs) Excuse me. But then it dawns upon Pharaoh that by allowing the Israelite slaves escape, he has destroyed Egypt's economy. So the only logical thing to do is to go after them and bring them back. So the ancient world's most powerful army is now after God's people, Israel. And what does God teach us through these exciting events in Exodus Exodus chapter 14? Stop trying and start trusting. The dilemma, we're surrounded Exodus 14, 1 through 2 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hiroth between Migdol and, and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. This is one of the most alarming commands in the Bible. The Israelites have left Egypt and then God tells them to turn back. Are you kidding me? Freedom is out of Egypt, and God is now telling his people to turn back to Egypt. Why does God do that? Because he wants Israel to stop trying and start trusting. You've been there too, haven't you? With your back against the wall, with your dreams crushed, with your broken heart and hand, we say, God, it was going so good. What's the deal? Why do I have to turn back? You might be elected as president of Russia. You might discover a way to email pizza and become a billionaire. Pigs might fly. A kangaroo might swim. Men might surrender the remote control. It's not likely. But all of this is possible. I see some of you going, eh? What isn't possible, though, 
is a problem-free life. Sometimes God is behind the problem. Sometimes God is the one who brings us to the end of our rope where we are stuck and trapped. The sermon for Sunday will talk about just this. So you'll have to wait for that. Just like Israel with no way out. Why does God do that? But I will gain glory for myself, according to Exodus 14.4. God knows exactly what he's doing. He's orchestrating our lives so that when we are delivered, he gets the glory and we don't. Pharaoh saw Moses and the Israelites pinned in by the wilderness, lost and confused, stuck and trapped. Verse 7 says, Pharaoh took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. Back in ancient Egypt, chariots were sort of like nuclear bombs. They were awesome. The Egyptian chariots are are mobile strike forces for shooting arrows, bombs away. In fact, in one picture, King Tut wears a blue crown of war. Over him is a vulture and the cobra, the signs of Upper and Lower Egypt. As he rides in his chariot, his bow is stretched back, ready to strike. Pharaoh has 600 of these choice chariots. How many do you think Israel has? None. Zero. Israel's back is against the Red Sea. They are facing certain destruction. There isn't a thing that they can do about it. And that is the dilemma. Can't you just imagine Moses asking God, why is this happening? Answer? So the people stop trying and start trusting. Jesus knows all about this kind of dilemma. Does he ever? Jesus knows all about dead ends. The path to the cross led him before Caiaphas, the high priest. It led him before Pilate, who saw him sent to Herod, who sent Jesus back to Pilate. Christ's path then led him before soldiers who whipped him, mocked, and spit on him. The path ended at a dead end called Calvary. Yes, Jesus definitely knows. Jesus knows all about dead ends. The decree is to just stay calm. Moses says, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The the Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just stay calm. What What a decree. It means that we can stop flapping our arms. It means that we can stop trying to help God. We can sit back and let God do the heavy lifting. But how so? Because the Lord himself will fight for you. Imagine two cooking bowls. One contains fresh, clean water. The second contains battery at the second contains battery acid. Take an apple and cut it in half. Place half of the apple in the bowl of clean water, place the other half in the bowl of battery acid. Leave each each in its respective bowl for five minutes and pull out the two halves. Which one will you eat? 
Our mind is the apple, and God's water and God's word is good water. Problems are the battery acid. If you marinate your mind in your problems, they will eventually corrode your brain and corrupt your thoughts. But if you marinate your mind in God's Word, and God will preserve and refresh your mind, and what is God's Word for us today? Just stay calm. But we ask, well, well, what if? What if I lose my job? What if my wife's cancer returns? What if my boyfriend dumps me? What if one of my children is in an accident and is paralyzed or worse yet killed? God's decree calls us to replace what if with his word. Just stay calm. The deliverance in the morning. Now this is one of the greatest scenes in the Bible. If this scene is in your heart, it's like having the keynotes of the music scale. It's amazing that with just a few notes, all kinds of music can be played. So few notes. But you have to have the notes. Well, here are the notes. Moses lifts his staff, the Red Sea parts, the Israelites walk through on dry ground, Pharaoh and his army follow, the Red Sea comes crashing down on them, and here is the song, no more, no more bricks, no more whips, and no more of Pharaoh's bag of tricks. And when did this happen? Exodus 14, 27 says, In the morning Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. When did God finally save his people from their long night in Egypt? In the morning. When does God deliver us from the long nights of life? According to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23, his mercies are new every morning. And what is the last name that the Bible gives to Jesus? The bright morning star. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping endures for a night, but joy, joy, joy comes in the morning. Are you feeling stuck? Are you feeling trapped? Are you feeling pinned against the wall? Are you afraid that the depression will never lift, that the yelling will never stop, that the emptiness will never leave? Are you wondering, will this gray sky ever brighten? Will this load ever lighten? Do you feel predestined for pain, asking, will I ever get out? Exodus 14 announces that your battle is, in fact, God's battle. And get this. God is undefeated. He has never lost a battle. God has never lost one single solitary battle. Not with Pharaoh, not with sin, not with Satan, not with death. The outcome is inevitable. The victory is assured. The last chapter has already been written. It's time to stop trying and start trusting. The plane will take off without our help. 
God has it all under control, so we can stop flapping our arms. Moses puts it this way. Just stay calm. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand. We confess together the words of our Christian faith. We do so using the Nicene Creed. It is found printed in the back cover of your hymnal. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended to heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, we will gather our tithes and offerings. Whether you are a member or a guest with us, please find the red sign-in book that is in your pew, and please fill that out so that we know that you were here to worship with us. We collect our tithes and offerings.
Please stand for prayer. By the mystery of your holy incarnation, by your holy nativity, by your baptism, fasting, and temptation, by your agony and bloody sweat, by your cross and passion, by your precious death and burial, by your glorious resurrection and ascension, and by the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. In all time of our tribulation, in all time of our prosperity, in the hour of death, and in the day of judgment, we poor sinners implore you to prosper the teaching of your word, to bless our prayer and meditation, to strengthen and preserve us in true faith, and to give heart to our sorrow and strength to our repentance. Draw all to yourself, to bless those who are instructed in the faith, to watch over and console the poor, the sick, the distressed, the lonely, the forsaken, the abandoned, and all who stand in need of our prayers, to give abundant blessing to all works of mercy, and to have mercy on us. We implore you to hear us, good Lord. To turn our hearts to you, to turn the hearts of our enemies, persecutors, and slanderers, and gracious to hear our prayers. We implore you to hear us, good Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. We implore you to hear us. Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. O Christ. O Lord. O Christ. O Lord. We pray together the Lord Himself taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and power, and glory. Amen. May the Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who brought his people out of Egypt, loaded with silver and gold, Bring you safely through your trial and test. Amen and amen.